All right. Happy 13-year anniversary, church family. We did it. We made it to the wonderful age of adolescence. <laughs> this is going to be a fun year. I'm glad that you're here for Vision Sunday. It's also a moment to look back a little bit. How many of you remember the good times, like pre-COVID, the good times? Can I tell you that God is still good? He's still moving. He's still saving lives, healing people, forgiving, delivering people. It's happening. I want to celebrate with you just last year, 914 of our friends surrendered their lives to Jesus. 421 water baptisms. That's way more than any other year in our history. Pretty amazing, right? 62 new small group leaders finished their H300 training, started small groups. Really excited about that. 47 couples took their journey and finished re-engaged ministry. 146 of our friends started their journey to recovery and experience freedom through regeneration. Uh, when things were being shut down, we found a way to do drive-in church. We, we met a need in our city. Because of your generosity, we were able to feed uh, 2,200 families a week's worth of groceries. This entire room was a giant warehouse of food. It was incredible. Along with the 62 new small group leaders, 29 graduates finished their Gateway School of Ministry journey. During the pandemic, we, two of our new churches started preview services. And then you gave $490,000, a little bit more than that, to Kingdom Builder Projects above and beyond the tithe to support missionaries and churches and projects all over the world. Praise God. Let's give God the glory for that. And I want to say thank you for serving, for giving, sacrificing, and making disciples to see this happen. It would be tempting to look around and, and, and realize that these are still uncertain times. And it'd be easy to be hesitant. It'd be easy to shrink back and fear and to be able to almost conform to the cultural norms around us. But we gotta be very careful where we fix our eyes. Let's not fix our eyes on the fears, on what can't happen or, or the obstacles or the world. Let's put our eyes in faith in God and what he wants to do, all right? Uh, about a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity of, of going to Colorado with our lead pastors of all of our campuses, and we decided that we wanted to go whitewater rafting. Now, half the group had never been before, and, and we were all grown men, and pastors knew that God was going to protect us, so we said, we don't want to go on the beginner journey. We want to go on the expert journey. And they were like, are you sure? And then we said, yes. So we show up. It was in June. They had an unusual amount of snow melt. So as a, as a result, the, the water was moving fast in the river. Instead of 700 feet per second, it was 2,300. A trip that would normally take four hours would now be done under one hour. And, and it was cold. It was June, so the water was really cold. But we, we got into our wetsuits, and we got our, our paddles, and, and, and we were excited to have our oars. And we, and, and we were really excited on the shore. You know, when, when the, the raft was still on time we were sitting and we were learning all the instructions from our guide and, and we were seeing the water go and, and, and it would have been really easy to say, you know what, this is a more comfortable place. I'd rather just sit on the shore. And if we would have made that decision, we would have missed out on a death-defying adventure. And so... <laughs> We decided to embark and we got in the water and it was a little scary at first, I'll admit. I mean, all of us, we were just like, what's gonna happen? And, and the, it was like the, we were thrust in the middle of the ocean. I mean, there were waves eight, nine feet tall and, and the, it was so fast that I can remember the first time the, a wave of water came into our, our boat and the water was just so cold. And, but it, it was like, 
all of us looked around. We were like, we're still alive. And, and, and we got, I remember like looking in the eyes of all of our, our pastors and it, 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 we almost had, all collectively had this crazed look in our eyes and we just dug into to the, to the water with our, with our oars and, and began to just paddle and, and we were so excited and, and we weren't able to take any pictures because we were too busy surviving. And, um, but we did not only survive, we had a great time and we were so glad that we embarked on a journey that really probably was a little bit risky. And sometimes you gotta take risks. Sometimes the best decisions are as a result of taking risks, of having faith. Of, 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 I imagine Peter, like he walked on water. There were other guys on the boat that stayed in the boat. They could have been water, water walkers. Instead, they, they were afraid. And, and I wonder how many of us, we can make a decision. Are we gonna, are we gonna stay in the boat or are we gonna walk on water? Are we gonna stay on the, the sidelines or are we gonna, are we gonna take an oar? As a result of, of what God wants to do here in and through our church family this year, it's not going to be because a few of us were brave enough to take an oar and do the work of the Lord. It's going to be because you put the oar in your hands and join what God is doing here. We need every single one of you. You are all important to the kingdom of God. There are no small roles in this church family. And I just imagine what it would be like if all of us said, you know what? I, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to make disciples. I might start with small steps. But as you do that, man, God's going to pour out his blessing and his favor. And together, a year from now, we're going to be blown away about what God has done and give him all the glory. Turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13 in the Old Testament. We're going to pick up in that journey of Israel when, as a result of years of disobedience, God had, yes, delivered them from Egypt, but now they were in the desert, the Wadi Rum Desert. I've been there. I've camped in a cave when it was 30 degrees. It was freezing. It was beautiful in its own right, but not for 40 years. I mean, if you can imagine a desert, I mean, that sheer cliffs and rocks in it, but there was just a lot of sand. Imagine the, the, the children of Israel just began to dream and what would it look like on the other side in that promised land where there would be milk and honey and soil rich enough to be able to grow crops and have a place of their own. I can imagine their, their dreams and their prayers and their hopes. And it was until they got to a place of brokenness, dependence and humility that God got them to the place. And now he's speaking to Moses, the leader here. And he says in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Now let's look back and, and, and God's saying, I want, from every, I want influential people from every tribe to go out and scout the land. What kind of land? It's very important that we, we observe this. It's the land which, who is giving them? God is giving him. This is a promise. He made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, like this, you are gonna be blessed and they are gonna have the promised land. And, and now he's saying, I want you to send people into this land to scout it out. And so they did. And as a result of them going into the land and seeing how beautiful it was and how wonderful, they also saw reasons why they couldn't go in. And, and they gave this feedback. And it says in, in verse 29, nevertheless, 
The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. These are the haters that are showing up. These are the, the doubters, the ones who are afraid. And they're probably saying like, hey, we better be, we better be cautious. I, I'm not sure if the time's right. They, there's some strong enemies over there. And I don't know if we, could, we can do it. But notice what happens in verse 30. It says, then Caleb, someone say, then Caleb. He quieted the people before Moses. He was like, shut up, y'all. He's like, these, these haters became Caleb's motivators. He was like, and he said, let us go up at once and take possession for we were, are well able to overcome it. I love his faith. I love the faith of Joshua and Caleb. They were the two, the only two who had faith in God that not only would the Lord deliver them, that he would overcome all their enemies, and be able to take possession of the land. God is still looking for a people who would be available, who would say, hey, just be willing to take that first step. Be a man and woman of action. Don't shrink back in fear. Have trust in me. I am a God who fulfills my promises. And I'm a God who will pour out all the spirit and the power and the grace that you need to accomplish everything I ask you to do. That's the kind of God we serve. We just have to be willing to be obedient. We have to receive his power and grace to fulfill what he asks us to do. In 1804, Thomas Jefferson, president, saw a wonderful opportunity. Half our country was using the natural resources. Half of it was not even being explored. We didn't have maps or anything. It was like the unknown. And so Thomas Jefferson got two individuals, Lewis and Clark. He got them together. He commissioned them. He said, will you take a trip and will you explore and, and find a, a passageway to the Pacific Ocean? And they said yes. And this was not going to be an easy trip. They weren't promised their health, their safety. This would be an 8,000-mile journey. It would take two and a half years. They would have six, three men dug out canoes and an 18 oars. But they embarked on that journey and they faced sickness. They faced uh, all kinds of opposition, but they didn't quit. They were successful. And the history shows us that the reasons why they were successful is because of three things. First, they had teamwork. They were unified. They had good teamwork. And teamwork, great teamwork, always starts with a clear understanding of what the team needs to accomplish. They had to have good marching orders of their president. And so the president said, I want you to take this expedition. This isn't a vacation. I want you to find a safe passageway to the Pacific Ocean. I want you to create maps. I want you to, to build relationships, not with hostile people, but make friends with Native Americans. I want you to collect scientific data, and I want you to report to me. And he commissioned them, and they went. And they were successful because they knew their mission. And when we as a church family have a common understanding, when we unify regarding our mission, we're gonna be able to accomplish great things for the glory of God. Jesus came to this earth and he knew his mission. It was to seek and save the lost. And, and Jesus, he didn't necessarily pick up an oar, but he put, picked up his cross and it cost him his life. But so great was his love for you and me, so great was his burden that he was willing to do whatever it took to save us. Praise God for that. And Jesus said, as God has sent me, I am sending you. 
He's saying, go and make disciples. Proclaim the gospel to all the nations. He's saying, I'm gonna be coming back. He tells his, his, his disciples in Mark chapter 13, I, I, I'm going to come back. Don't you dare be caught sleeping. He's saying, while it's day, you need to be working. One day we're gonna be standing before God as a church family. Did we do what God asked us to do? Did we make disciples? Did we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? And I pray that we can stand before God and that we were united because we knew our mission. The mission in seven words will never change in our church. It's helping friends become devoted followers of Jesus. Will you say it with me with a little bit of passion? Helping friends become devoted followers of Jesus. We are gonna major on the majors and minor on the minors. Everything that we do will get to our friends knowing the gospel and helping them grow to maturity so then they can help their friends become devoted followers of Jesus. This is our mission. And so we must have teamwork. We must have teamwork. Some of you are maybe a little restless and, and you've been causing some, maybe some problems internally or with others. And from my experience, the best way I can get people from rocking the boat is putting an oar in their hands. And so I wanna encourage you. I wanna put an oar in your hands. If you're not doing anything, to start serving, to start giving, to start helping us make disciples. Some of you are new and you've got struggles and we wanna be your friend. We wanna help you grow to start abiding with the Lord and to become free from obstacles and strongholds in your life. For now, our church is a hospital to help you grow. But at some point, we wanna help you to make disciples. You're either in a place where you need to be made to make a disciple or you need to say, all right, I'm ready to start. I'm not perfect, but I'm gonna receive the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and start making disciples of our children and to our friends who need to know the Lord. So we gotta have teamwork. Second, we noticed that Lewis and Clark had a good tone. I mean, they, life is 10% of what happens to us, 90% of how we respond. And they faced all kinds of trials, but they never had a negative attitude. In fact, here's an, a journal entry from 1805 Lewis says, at this moment, every individual is in excellent spirits, zealously attached to the enterprise and anxious to proceed. Not a whisper of discontent. All in unison act with the most perfect harmony. With such men, I have everything to hope and but little to fear. When we link arms together and we're making disciples together, and we're gonna be unified in our purpose. We need to have this tone with an expectation, a positive attitude, a trust, a faith in the Lord. There's a third observation that we can make with Lewis and Clark. They had a tenacity. They had a tenacity. A tenacity is, is a perseverance with a purpose. It's, a, it's an understanding that to accomplish significant things, then we must endure. We can't give up. And together, we are gonna link arms together. We are gonna put our oars in our hands and we're gonna paddle together and we're gonna accomplish things for the glory of God. We've gotta have teamwork, gotta have tenacity, gotta have a good tone. And we're gonna be able to do these things for the glory of God. In the Old Testament, before the children of Israel were in the desert, they were at a, a, at a difficult time. They, they were disobedient and God allowed them to be judged by the Assyrians and, and even the, the prophets were discouraged and lost hope. But during a very dark period in Israel's history, the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah. In chapter 40, verse 31, it says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I know last year, 
man, we paid a price, and it, it'd be easy to, to just kind of maybe resign or go, this was a weary time, and we're, we're tired. And in the flesh, we may feel like that, We've got to abide with the Lord, and when we wait upon him and we're dependent upon his spirit, his power, his grace, he will accomplish whatever he asks us to do. Amen? In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says, We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We need to be so in love with Jesus that early in the morning that we see our abide time. We're in the word of God and we're praying and we're waiting upon the Lord. We need to come together in small groups and wait upon the Lord and be dependent upon him. Psalm 94 verse 16 says, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? The Lord is looking, he's searching. He has his will, but he's saying, who will stand up? Who will be available? Who will rise up? I love Isaiah's words. Chapter six, verse eight, he says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. He didn't say, no, Lord, not me, I'm tired. I wanna sit down. He said, here am I, Lord, send me. What would it look like if we together said, here we are, Lord, Send us. In Psalm chapter 20, verse seven and eight, this is our theme verse for this year. It says, some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord. Though nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. I want you to look over to your neighbor and say, we will rise up. Look over to your other neighbor and say, we will rise up. From the ashes, from the depths, we as a church family will wait upon the Lord and he is gonna give us his spirit and we are going to rise up. We are gonna fulfill his commission to make disciples. We're gonna see marriages restored. We're gonna see relationships reconciled. During the last few weeks while we've been praying and fasting, the Lord has given our leadership team just a tremendous burden, a burden for the lost in our community, but a burden for our church family as well. We've seen relationships just become strained and tense. And we believe that out of healthy relationships, we're gonna be able to have a healthy ministry. But if our relationships aren't good, then we're not gonna be able to accomplish all that God wants to do in and through us. And so there's three specific areas I wanna share with you how God is leading us to address strained relationships. First, it's in the area of your marriage. If you would ask your spouse, hey, how, how am I doing as a spouse in our marriage? Your spouse may respond before or after COVID. <laughs> in other words, COVID, has, the pandemic has strained relationships. We've seen it. Domestic violence has gone up. Alcohol abuse has gone up. Divorce rate has gone up this past year. And we want to address it. We don't want to see that happen in your marriage. So that's why we're doing merge and, re, and re-engage our ministry on Tuesday nights coming in, in, in February. But I'm going to tell you, we don't, we don't want to wait. Next Sunday, we're gonna start a brand new series on relationship health. Some of you feel like your, your marriage feels like hell right now, but we're gonna believe that God's gonna do a miracle and he's gonna turn a, a marriage that feels like hell into health. You're not gonna just survive, you're gonna thrive. And next week, we're gonna start our journey together. We're excited about this. I wanna encourage you to, to join us in getting the word out. In fact, take your phones out. If you wouldn't mind, just go into our Facebook page. We posted this new series and a graphic. 
we believe that this is a huge need in our community. And there's people who are in our community that, and their marriages are struggling. And we're praying that as we get this news out, that this would be a way that our church can meet a legitimate need in our community. And when they see this need meet, met, just like Jesus met physical needs and then the spiritual needs, we're believing that. We're praying that couples see, man, they see the, the benefit of God's word being applied to their marriage and then they put their trust in him as well. And so would you share this? Just share it on your newsfeed. You never know who the people are who are gonna see that in your network of friendships and that will come next Sunday. So come. Let's be ready. And it's not gonna just be for marriage as a series. It's gonna be for the singles, for dating. We're really excited about this. So that's gonna be the first area that we're gonna address, marriages. The second area that we're gonna address is the relationships with our, with our church family that may feel disconnected. Some of you who feel disconnected, you're viewing right now online. And I know that You've not been here in person for quite some time and you may feel like you're missing out or you're feeling like as a church that we're thinking less of you and I just want you to silence every voice that's not from the Lord. You are important, we love you. You may be vulnerable or a senior or not comfortable yet, but we just want you to know we as a leadership, as a church family here, can you share your love and, and just our, the way that we miss so many of you guys, we love you. So we wanna stay connected better. We don't want you to feel like a fly on the wall. And so we are starting one of our brand new church campuses and new churches that we're starting this year is Gateway Fellowship Church Online. And it's gonna be a lot different. We are pouring resources, leadership, people. We're, gonna, we're not just thinking of people who are online, either disconnected, but we're also seeing that a lot of new people, they're watching online before they come. Or some of our people who live out of state or they're deployed and live in another country. And, and we're saying, all right, what if we can look through a different lens and we can fulfill our strategy of belonging to a small group, believing baptized, becoming a volunteer, being trained and being sent and, and, and running that through our online grid. We believe that we're gonna start some online community, small groups and new churches as a result of taking these steps of faith. Very excited about this. And so we're gonna address marriages, we're gonna address our online community, and then we're gonna, we're gonna address small groups. We're gonna address small groups. Jesus, when he came to this earth, he belonged to a small group. The way he fulfilled his mission was choosing 12 people to spend time in fellowship, to travel with, love, he trained them, he had hard conversations with, and then he said, go and make disciples. They trusted that Jesus was divine in his nature, divine in his teaching, he must also be divine in his methods. And so they began to make disciples. They started making small groups in their homes and then they would meet together in the temple, in the synagogue. And we do the same thing. Our church family started 13 years ago in a small group in a living room. And we began to grow and we multiplied. And at one point we got to about 100 small groups and then we had faced adversity. A lot of times, when, remember, when we take a, a step out in and, and faith, that opposition steps in. Man, I can't remember a, a harder year for our leadership staff, our, our leaders that were full-time on board and the, the adversity that they faced. But you know what? Every single one of them, they're still endured. They didn't quit and they fought for discipleship and they're fighting for discipleship. And, and then the pandemic happened and we saw our number of small groups go to about 67. Praise the Lord, many of you have answered the call and we're closer to about 95, but can you dream with me what it would look like 
for our small groups this year to reach about 150 here at the Northwest Campus. We, we know that many of you are not in small groups yet, and we want to become your friends. We, wanna, we want you to experience community. We want to see you grow in your relationship with the Lord and your relationships with your church family. In small groups is how it happens. And so we're looking at our campus and we're saying, all right, how can we maximize it on a Sunday? And so our small group staff, a team has gotten together and they've collaborated, brainstormed, prayed. And so before and after every service, we wanna connect with you who don't have a small group. Or if you see someone who doesn't have a small group, there's five areas on our church now, starting next week, that you can connect. One is our back patio where we have a, you know, some of our fires. You can hang out there. We're opening up our pavilion. Your kids can play. And then we're gonna have small group leaders who are building their small groups, hanging out in that area. And then we are uh, looking at our den is an area that you can connect right after service. We're opening up our front porch and then we're creating a new place of fellowship and community uh, right outside our family entrance area. We're gonna have some food trucks and just spend some time just slowing down and, and, and focusing on fellowship and assimilating people to the life of our church family. Very excited about this. And here's the reality is, and we've got to grow because lost people matter but we've got to grow smaller because you matter. And we want you to be in a small group. Some of you have been in a small group for a while and the Lord's saying, all right, I, I'm gonna make you feel uncomfortable. I'm gonna try to get you out of the boat a little bit. I want you to, to join our ranks. And, and I wanna encourage you to have these kind of conversations with your small group leader because people matter. There's people that are coming to our church that desperately need Jesus. John and Laura came to our church and they were in a very dark place and they needed Jesus and they needed friendship. And I'm thankful that, that Jacob and Nikki Pena, who are in our Gateway School of Ministry, but they're also small group leaders. And uh, I want you to share your story with John and Laura and how God has used small group to help them grow in their faith. Praise God. We are, in fact, in GSM. Yeah. Here and yeah. amen. So we've been small group leaders for a little while. And if I can take you back just a little moment, John and Laura just came in with us. But just like anyone who's joining a small group, there's some apprehension. There's some uh, vulnerability. So I decided to share three stories of what happened during our first month, two months, when we first joined a small group with the Malinchenkos. We had a two-week-year-old daughter, and it did not fail every single Thursday, diaper blowout. <sighs> She's regular. And then two, we had a three-year-old boy. And when we got home after a small group, we decided, uh, well, we had to change him. And as we took his little jeans off, outpours money. And I'm like, I didn't give him money. Did you give him money? He had stolen from our small group. <laughs> and then the third, my oldest, who was five at the time, he walks in and he does his normal thing. And as he's running downstairs, he's missing a tooth. To this day, we haven't found the tooth. It's been years. So we understand the vulnerability that you have to have. And we said, we want to live life with you, John, Laura. And here's their testimony of what small group means to them. Um, 
Before I came to Christ, I suffered from anxiety and depression almost my whole life. I turned to new age and law of attraction thinking that I could control my life and control my thoughts. I ended up losing control of my life and my thoughts. I began to have suicidal thoughts. I told God that if you could save my life, I would give you my life. We decided to go to church one day and before we even got to enter this building, we were approached outside about joining a small group. We didn't know what a small group was. We've never heard of a small group, but since we were serious about giving our life to Christ, we said yes. We ended up getting baptized through our small group. God not only saved my life, but he led me to a small group that would change my life. I wasn't alone. I had a whole army that would pray for me, pray with me, encourage me, and inspire me to take this walk with God. So I encourage you to join a small group because you have an army waiting for you to encourage you, to inspire you, and to take your walk with God. Thank you so much. She didn't get, Lorna, you didn't get baptized at the church. She got baptized at the Pena's home, outside the front of their house. And uh, that's my hope, that this is where people are gonna be one to the Lord and we're gonna see people baptized in, in pools and bathtubs and, and hot tubs all over our community, that what God wants to do cannot be con just confined to the four walls of this church, but the gospel is so powerful and he wants to use you beyond what you can imagine. But it, it took Jacob and Nikki saying, all right, I'm not gonna just be comfortable in the Malinchenko small group. I'm gonna take an oar and I'm gonna start a small group. Some of you are in a small group and there's some John and Laura's out there that Lord wants to use you to help be a friend to them. Have that conversation with your small group leader. Some of you are small group leaders and you're maybe feeling a sense of restlessness or dissatisfaction or like, I, I, I can trust the Lord to do a little bit more in my life. I want you to consider the Gateway School of Ministry. We wanna equip and train you. When, what would it look like to give two years of your life to a new church? Maybe bivocationally, maybe part-time. It could grow into something more, but we wanna train you. And if you're interested in more information on, on the second, I believe second Sunday, Fifth, thank you, Kyle. 15th of February, we're having our GSM graduation and orientation. Come check it out. Just come check it out and be open to what God can do in your life.